Welcome to Camera Ready and Able, a podcast that explores the intersections of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna Abel, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers, clarify your message, and make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the word representation, meaning the description or portrayal of someone or something in a particular way. Going deeper, the Aspen Institute defines cultural representation as referring to popular stereotypes, images, frames, and narratives that are socialized and reinforced by media, language, and other forms of mass communication. Here to discuss representation is one of my favorite humans, Nancy Red. Nancy is an award-winning on-air host, a New York Times and USA Today best-selling author, a two-time Mom's Choice Award winner, an NAACP Image Award nominee for Outstanding Literary Work, and a GLAAD Media Award nominee for Outstanding Digital Journalism. She is the author of the acclaimed picture book, Bedtime Bonnet, and her newest picture book, The Real Santa, is available now from all of your favorite booksellers. Called The Perfect Combination of Style and Substance by Essence Magazine, Nancy holds an honors degree in women's studies from Harvard University. Welcome, my love. It is so great to see you, Nancy. I am so honored. And Barbara, you forgot my favorite part of my bio, which is that I have been your student for 20 years, almost two decades. Wow. Nancy (laughs) took one of my earliest TV hosting classes at TVI in 2000 and something. Yeah, it was probably like 2004 or five. I'm thinking five because I wasn't Miss Virginia. And I think I was doing some television hosting in the Hamptons and in Martha's Vineyard. And I really wanted to do better. And I took your class and you changed my life. So I'm very excited to be on here. Well, right back at you. And it's actually kind of a perfect segue a little bit into your early work, because what I, I just want to start out with the conversation of re- representation and how we came up with the word for this episode. And obviously, we're going to talk about the real Santa, but truly it's a theme throughout your career, right? And so even in when you were Miss Virginia, we'll circle back to that. But in 2007, you published, I'm not sure if this was your first book or not. We'll figure that one out in a sec, but you, you published <laughs> Body Drama. And I did. true eye-opener to me, you were so gracious to sent me a copy. And But I bring this up for the audience because it was so groundbreaking. And we'll describe what it was, but it was years before body positivity had become part of the conversation. In fact, I feel like you entered it into the conversation. So representation is a building block of everything you do. And so I want to celebrate that and ask you, was this a deliberate choice? Were you conscious of this? Or it's just something that's so part of who you are that started to come out? It's interesting you say that. I think it was a hybrid, right? So we all have talents and interests and skill sets special to us and no one else. And it's very difficult sometimes to find them on our own. And I don't know if you did this segue on purpose, but the only reason I knew that I had something to share in that venue is because in the class I took with you, and I was just a little thing, wanted to be a TV host, but I didn't want to do local news. I wanted to be an entertainment host or lifestyle host. And that's a whole different journey that you helped me understand. And I remember you looked at all of us in the class and you said, all of you in here can be hosts. You are all attractive enough. You all will be able to get the talent. What you need is your specialty, your brand. What is it that's special to you that you have something to say on that you think is interesting and brings a unique perspective to the space? And I suppose that was the phrasing we would use before representation. 
or DEI were, or part of our vernaculars, right? So I didn't, I actually don't know what you said in the rest of that class, quite frankly. I stopped paying attention to you and I just got my little manila notepad and I just started thinking of things that I was good at and things that I could have a brand around that would set me apart from all of the other beautiful, talented hosts, right? And in that class, I, I, I wrote down on that piece of notebook paper that's somewhere in my mom's basement, I like to talk about women's bodies because we don't talk enough about them in ways that are realistic. We talk a lot about our body goals or our thinspo or trying to, to fix on our bodies, but we don't talk enough about body love. Now, for anyone listening who is rolling their eyes at this, you must remember this is in like 15, 16 years ago. There was no Instagram. <laughs> the celebrities were pageant girls, which I was one. And so I went directly from your class to Borders. And again, this is how long ago it was. Borders at Columbus Circle was the bookstore to go to. And I lived right next to it in a rent-controlled studio apartment that I was taking over from a, of a rocket. And I got How to Get Your Book Published for Dummies. And I then took that and I sat at the Kinko's across the street. And I started creating the, the sample pages for my photographic book, which at that time was called One Boob is Bigger Than the Other, and other body drama all girls deal with. And I decided at that point I was going to spend my career, which I did for a decade, helping women not feel ashamed about their bodies and be comfortable with who they were as they were, cellulite, scars, dandruff, and all. Incredible. And the other aspect of this, Nancy, is when we connect to value, and this is all, I say it all the time, it's so super powerful, but allowing us to feel seen. And again, that was a terminology or a phrase that people didn't use then. No, so I mean, no one now. is using any phrases. Like the, the conversations that we've had over the years have, have shifted so much. When I first entered into entertainment, I mean, honestly, until very recently, until five years ago, I was constantly being told what I could do as a black person. You, I mean, I was like, people cannot understand the limitations that were not just theoretically placed on entertainers based off of their appearance and perceived appeal. It was not a theoretical conversation, it was a literal one. Barbara, you've been in these conversations, you've been in, you've listened to the executives. I was up for an MTV show once and they literally said, we like you, but you're not black enough. I was up for something else and they were like, we like you, but you're not black enough. I mean, it's, <laughs> there's so many layers of the crazy. And what you really helped me do is, is with before we knew what we were doing, not be so uh, beholden to these inappropriate and incorrect ideas of what I could and could not do. And so by having my own say and my own brand and my own books with my own words that were not shrouded in uh, stereotypes or expectations by othering, I was able to blossom and protect myself and insulate myself from a lot of racism and untoward conversations. Can you talk a little bit deeper about this? Because this is incredible. Just process-wise, like how did you talk yourself through that? Well, actually, process-wise, and I think that's the thing. I, I was 26 years old. Well, at that time, I was probably 24, 25. As we all know, everything's a journey. So anyone listening to this, whatever idea you have in your head, is going to take three or four years for it to come to fruition. So you may as well start now. And when I first started, I was not thinking about, I'm going to fight the man, you know, <laughs> 
I was just like, I'm just going to do something fun because Barbara said I should if I wanted to have a TV career. Fortunately, because it was so close to home and what I loved, the energy of it came out and um, I it created a movement. It was a very wonderful moment in time where for the first time we were seeing unairbrushed vaginas in a mainstream book published by Penguin Random House, right? We were seeing lopsided breasts. We were seeing women with cellulite, naked girls, so that it was a puberty book for teenagers. So that girls, unlike me who grew up with illustrations, usually of, of thin Caucasian girls, that's it. And I was a tubby little black girl, like wondering why I didn't look like her. And my body must be weird because I did not have her type of body. A new generation of women grew up, whether they read my book or not, it, it, its existence, being in the zeitgeist, peppers what we have today, which turns into incredible moments like F your beauty standards, body positivity, size inclusion, health at every size. Every single thing that we see today starts with something. So I was not thinking about this. Like most 20-some-year-olds aren't fully cognizant, but they know they have something in there. We all know we have something in us, and it takes a while for that to shine. Because admittedly, when I was first writing body drama, 15% of it was to change the world and help everybody. But 85% of it was, Barbara said this is how I can have a career. <laughs> and, and that's okay. Altruism doesn't have to be the only goal. It's not a zero-sum game. I really believe in working on projects that feed your cup, but also can feed you <laughs> by paying your bills. <laughs> And I'm lucky that that uh, I ended up having a really great book career, which did, in the end, help me get the television career. Now, it did take 10 years almost, right? But it was it was the impetus for my brand being perfected enough to get the career that I wanted. And I might not have been, of all of the people who were up for the jobs I've gotten as a host, whether it is um, at HuffPost Live or whether it was on my Fox show or whether it's as a contributor, not going to lie, I work with Barbara a lot, but I'm not the most polished individual, but I have passion and a purpose. And therefore, when they're weighing the options, oftentimes, not always, I get chosen because of that. And I think that's very helpful when thinking about what is your project and what is your passion? How can it help you pursue your goals? It's not about being perfect, but about being passionate and effective. Okay, I'm so glad you said that because while you were talking a second ago, I wanted to stop and note this for anyone as you're listening. I, I'm presuming you can hear and feel Nancy's energy just bursting out of this podcast. And that is part of your magic. And it's how important tone is and intention and mindset when you're doing anything because it's the energy you brought to body drop, like as you're writing it. It's like the energy you could feel on the page, the energy you brought. Is, and so I want to go back to also because it's your process and everybody you know, does things differently. But the fact that one of your first impulses was to create the mock-up of the pages. So obviously you're a visual learner as I am, that also means you started to manifest. Like that became its own kind of vision board. Like you gave it, you gave it existence, which is incredible, but also the energy around that. That's just, it's just to remind everyone. It's like when you're in the process and you're creating a stop to ask yourself, where's my energy? Where's my, is it, is it, am I showing up while I'm doing this? Because uh, we feel that everything is an exchange of energy. That, that's the quantum physics of what we're doing. So, incredible. And if you believe in manifesting, and I, I, 
I have been vision boarding since before vision boarding was a thing. Again, it's it's really interesting being the oldest of the millennials because I just turned 40 this year. So I love how everything has a name and it has a, a, a zone. Whereas, you know, we would just stumble upon things. It was harder for us. So this next generation of creators and, and pursuers and dreamers and doers, it's so cool because they have names to the feelings we had. We are fortunate to have been able to pursue things without a, a textbook, without guidebooks, right? Well, there was no Barbara Barnum podcast, <laughs> you know? Uh, and so, so yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't know why I'm the way I am, but every project that I start has to come from the heart and I'm an artist at heart and therefore I have to see it. So my books are until I, until I moved into the children's realm and when I was doing body drama for puberty, diet drama also for puberty, pregnancy OMG, which was the next iteration in my life when I became a mother and also felt duped by pregnancy books that didn't have photos of my terrifyingly beautiful body. <laughs> the oxymoronic experience of hosting a very large parasite. Uh, I needed to see it. I believe that humanizing things and humanizing oneself means you need actual photographs. And I needed to see it when I was creating the samples. They called them dummies. And then I learned that when you get to the next level, which is where I started not just writing books, but also packaging and meaning hiring the designer. And that's what I did for Diadrama and Pregnancy OMG is you not just write and art direct the photo shoots, but hire the designer, come up with the design layouts, come up with the organization of the book, where the photos go. We call them blads. Uh, without that, you can't fully get the idea of what someone's talking about. Because if, if it's like the exercises, Barbara, that people give you where everyone closes their eyes. Well, great example with Real Santa, what I like to do, it's actually, this is very, I'm not just being a good marketer and pulling in my new book, Real Santa, at this time. I'm actually making a point. If I ask anyone to to not look at anyone else's drawing and start drawing a picture of Santa. No one's drawing is going to be the same. It's all going to be different, right? Because we all have different ideas in our life. So when someone says, your baby is going to cause your ankles to swell or cellulite is normal or some breasts are more lopsided, everyone has a different idea of what that looks like in their head. But if you have no litmus test, if you have no diverse opportunity to see a variety of options from which to choose either the most representative for you or the hybrid. Okay, well, I've got cankles like that, but I've got stretch marks like that. It's very impossible to have a healthy uh, mindset for many people. So I really believe in representation in imagery and in particular photography. With children's literature, which I've moved into now that I've become more of a mom and have less time to write nonfiction at this juncture of my life, I'm still fighting the fight to get photogra photographs in children's literature. It's not as much of a thing. I think it should be, but that's a whole other conversation. I think that um, children also need to see photographs and not just in textbooks, but that's a another layer of a conversation. <laughs> that brings us deep into the whole concept and the notion of representation broadly. but. Just to pause for one sec, can we just talk, this is on behalf of the audience, just to note, like it's your right side of your brain and your left side of your brain are like firing on all cylinders at all times so that it's, it's a, because again, it's a checklist anybody can ask ourselves because you don't just like, I had an idea and this would be a nice idea. You, I don't know how you do this, but you think about like, where's the opportunity? What hasn't been done? What's the best way to do this? You, 
I don't think you actually have a checklist, but in my mind, I want to translate what you do because whenever I talked to you, I was like, I'm so amazed how you come up with ideas because you see opportunity or holes in the marketplace that, that intersect with what's going to feed your soul. And I just think that's amazing because that is a key to your success because many of us do one or the other. So we see the whole algorithm driven approach to business, which is soulless. And we can sense that when we see those products and they were just sort of like banged out by a robot somewhere. Or then that many of us fall into this like category of sort of passion, heart-centered, well-meaning, but completely missing that there needs to be a market for your project. And, and I think that there's, there should be the Nancy Red seminar that explains the both of them to us. But let's go back to representation as a whole, because one, going back to what I said at the beginning, you see people and you make underrepresented people feel seen and heard and loved and appreciated and welcome and safe all the time. So I just really have to acknowledge that, which is incredible. Thank you. And that's how I felt the first time you sent body drama. And I was, no one's ever had this conversation with me. And thank you so much. It was incredible. And how old was your daughter? How old was your daughter in 2008? She was 11. I think that's what, and I, thank you. That's right. Because of course I was thinking about like, but you're right. You sent it because you knew I had a tween daughter and I opened (laughs) the book and I think it's for me. Because no one has ever said, I was like, yay, finally we have this conversation. This is so healing and wonderful and liberating and joyful. Thank you. So yes, the two of us, for the both of us, thank you. And she um, is soon to be 25, which is incredible. Which is amazing. It makes me so happy. But so then let's go back to, so now this is a nice segue. We're going to talk about Bedtime Bonnet and The Real Santa because there's obviously an intersection. So I'll let you take it away because walk us through what Bedtime Bonnet is and the whole idea that this didn't even exist. Well, I'll go, I'll, I'll piggyback on what you said about understanding the importance of making sure your idea melds with something feasible. And I had to learn that not the hard way, because I'm very lucky to have been able to, I've been a creator since I was a little girl. I was always trying to get something off the ground. I was writing stuff from a little girl. And Barbara knows this because she's seen me through the highs and the lows, but I've had for every success I've had, I've had like 20, 30 failures from the time I was little. Like I was a glamour, magazine top 10 college woman, but I had also applied to be an Essence top 10 college woman, right? I didn't get that. I'd also applied for some other award, you know? And again, the most important thing I applied, stuff has never, now people I think, I learned that if you build it, they probably won't come. <laughs> you have to draw them in. There, It is an active process that seems effortless. And I talk about this a lot with my mentees because especially now when I was growing up, there was no social media. So I could apply with abandon to projects and just, you know, not, you know, not, not think about what other people were doing. And it seems like things just come to people, but with everything I've done, I've actively sought it. And usually by the time, whatever of idea has come to fruition, the street has been littered with 20 or 30 ideas similar that I just couldn't get right. Like, for example, Bedtime Bonnet, which you can see back there, the very sweet bedtime book I have, which is about black nighttime hair rituals like bonnets and T-Rags and wave caps. Before, step one, before I sold Bedtime Bonnet, I tried to sell multiple other children's books to no avail. And every time I got feedback on with this, just, I don't really see how this is you. I don't, why, why you write this book? which is a large can of worms with representation in children's media, oftentimes new authors in the space, no matter how acclaimed they are in other spaces, there needs to be a reason or a hook, 
for that book to be about you. So I was just mentoring someone right before this call who has a children's book idea based on a very specific thing that only they could write about. And I was like, I know it's going to sell because that's you. It's an own voices. And it doesn't just have when represent when we're talking representation. Yes. Race. Yes. You know, ethnicity come into play, but also class where you grew up specific key points of your life. That's also representation. Right. So um, when I sold bedtime bonnet, the original was not that great. It was just, it was like something like Bonnie's bonnet. I mean, it was not that bad. It was, it was not great. And through editing, it became really good. And then in between bedtime bonnet and the real Santa, there was a, there were a couple of failures, you know, and you don't hear about those, <laughs> but that's because I am not afraid to quit just as I'm not afraid to go after stuff. When I see that something is probably not going to have a worthwhile ROI or a worthwhile impact, I tend to ghost on it. So you'll have these situations where I had an amazing idea. I almost said the F word. (laughs) I'll have an amazing idea. And then I'll, I'll sift it out a little bit and I'll get back feelers. And if my heart's not in, if the feedback comes back and my heart sinks, I need, I take an assessment of myself. Do I really care about this to put more hours into this? And if the answer is no, I table it. I don't necessarily table it forever, but I always have, my mommy always taught me, I come from a business background and I'm very lucky as an African-American family in Southern Virginia during segregation to have a, a we, well, my family owned a country store. So they were self-employed. And uh, therefore, we're insulated from a lot of the issues that people who had to uh, earn their money in different ways were. So I was always taught from an early age because the country store, you not only sold food, you sold liquor, you sold used goods, you sold cars in the background because you never knew where the money was going to come from that month. Right. And so you always have a lot of irons in the fire. And when you have a lot of irons in the fire, when one goes cold, you don't have to wait long for another one to get hot. So, uh, so for me, I think about it in terms of I will table it and try this other project and keep the balls going. And sometimes some get warm, sometimes some cool off completely. And then sometimes some get red hot, like Bedtime Bonnet, which is now fortunately being developed into a TV show, like The Real Santa. Now, The Real Santa was one where I had much more passion and put more ROI into it than I normally would with another product or another project because I cared about it so much. And it wasn't just about another book in my repertoire. It was about making a statement. So for me, I was willing to put more elbow grease and labor beyond what I normally think of as what, what can it do for me? (laughs) You know, so as a labor of love. Now I'm fortunate to be able to do that. um, But, and it ends up, it ends up turning out to be totally worthwhile. Uh, but I think that it's it's not fair to our audience or to others to not acknowledge the importance of not of not being afraid to give up on a project if it's not going as well as you think it is. Don't don't do it out of spite. Sometimes you can table it and pick it up later. I've been working on a Black Santa story for years, and I would pick it up, I would table it, I'd pick it up again, I'd table it, and then finally the absolute right moment came. And it just felt like the world opened. When I first started, when I came with this idea for the book, my daughter was like three years old. My daughter is now seven years old. <laughs> Everything takes a long time and you need to have runway to do that, whether that's financial runway 
And just as importantly, you need to have emotional runway. And I think over the years, I have really developed more emotional runway to let go while simultaneously not letting go. And I think anyone listening to this, building more emotional runway into your processes will help you do the best project you can. Because I see a lot of uh, my mentees um, rush their products and they're not as good as I know they can do them, but they are terrified. And, and sometimes you have to rush something because you're trying to deal with a zeitgeisty issue. But give yourself the emotional runway to ensure that you are doing right by yourself and your dreams for yourself. Emotional runway is the buzzword takeaway of this episode about representation. Oh my gosh, wrote it in big, bold, purple Sharpie across my fabulous jumbo post-it here. So what is the, what's the impact you wanna make with The Real Santa? I think the impact I wanna make with The Real Santa, which it is a little black boy's journey on figuring out what the real Santa looks like and whether or not he looks like the guy in the ball or the guy in all the Christmas movies or like all of the Santas in his household on his Christmas cards and gift wrap and sweaters. Because in my household growing up and in my household now, Santa's black. And so my child, like me, grew up, um, my son in particular, who is obsessed with Santa, he's based off of the boy, it's very, very fun. Um, really wanted to know what Santa looked like. And that conversation is very delicate and ginger because there have been very, very few mainstream books that talk about representation of characters like Santa. And I wanted to do it in a way that was not polarizing, but also did justice to the topic. I wanted there to be pride in Santa, not just as black, but as Santa. <laughs> Because in my family, it's not Black Santa, it's the real Santa, and he happens to be Black. And we're trying to figure out what he looks like. And I was very fortunate to have an incredible team of editors, um, Sarah Sargent at Random House, and my amazing illustrator, Charnel Pinkney Barlow, who also um, grew up and has Black Santa in her household. Um, the authenticity is there because we believe. We are true believers and we love it. And at the same time, it's a story that everyone can enjoy, whatever they celebrate, whether or not they celebrate Christmas. <laughs> I love it. I don't want to move on, but I just want to go back to Bedtime Bonnet for a moment because everyone has nighttime rituals. Not everyone has a nighttime hair ritual, but everyone has nighttime rituals. I thought there was something beautiful and universal and it welcomed me in to a ritual that I knew a little bit about, but not, you know, only tangentially. And um, well, you're better than most. When I went to sell it, it was so cute because a lot of the people I would um, pitch the book to, you know, because you pitch the book like you pitch a show, right? It's like, so, okay, tell me about this book. What's your elevator pitch? And I was like, well, it's a book about nighttime rituals. And as you know, Black people as a whole, often, not everybody, but tend to cover their hair at night. <laughs> so one person was literally like, are you sure? Are you, are you sure? And I'm, I'm at this point very cavalier. And I was like, listen, I'll be honest with you. You asking me this question, it probably means you don't have a close black friend and that's okay. But I'm going to need you to expand your horizon <laughs> and understand that yes, the bonnet is a thing. It's a thing in this community <laughs> that I am a card carrying member of. Uh, okay, well, first of all, God bless you. That's, I was gonna say, how do you react? And so again, so generous. 
So understanding, meeting people where they are, bringing them into the conversation, not demeaning them. God bless you. Because you know what's going through my head? It's not only, see, who am I to be so judgy? But I was like, wow, you don't watch TV. Well, no, no, no. There's no bonnets on TV. The struggle has been real with the bonnet because it has been a derided part of community. It's a part of shame and part of respectability politics is you don't show the magic of how in previous generations, you straightened your hair to be more accepted, right? And the bonnet helped you keep it on. Um, that's It's a whole extrapolation of just being comfortable with yourself. And I have personally found, I've been in these streets for a long time trying to explain my worth, which again is dehumanizing and is at the base of the Black Lives Matter movement. I should not have to explain my humanity, but here we are. I am lucky that my my natural personality and my natural trauma mechanism and reactions are goofy. I was joking with a friend of mine because, (laughs) you know, you can't pick your trauma response out at a grocery store. But she was like, if I could, I'd pick yours because I mine shows up in humor and deflection. So that's more palatable when you are trying to school someone in something. But it's not something I've necessarily, it is something I've honed because I've noticed that it works for me, but it's something I was naturally born with. And it's a very, if you're not a natural deflector um, goofball, then it's more difficult, but admittedly it's more palatable. I don't, again, these are not things that should happen, but when someone is going through something difficult or when they're having difficult conversations, I do try to, it's like kind of how you media coach people to get over, to, to learn a new tactic, a new tool in the toolbox. I try to give people the tool of being casual about it, acknowledging it, but bringing it in a family way because otherwise no one's going to win. Well, that's not, I, I thought it was just very notable. And I want to acknowledge the use of the word palatable. And I hear where you're coming from. You are such a gift. So the real Santa in stores everywhere. What an incredible gift for yourself and for everyone that you love. Where can we find you, Nancy Red? My name at um, anywhere, Nancy Red, N-E-M-C-Y-R-E-D-D. I'm getting more active on social that everyone has a strength and a weakness. And I, again, I'm that old millennial still haven't been able to harness the power of the internet because <laughs> I'm just so used to, I still do things like the Kinkos and the, you know, the little Blad tummy in my little room. And so I, I'm getting back on social media. That is my, that is my personal goal for 2022 to really navigate this incredible resource that again, did not exist when I was coming up as a way to promote myself or my products. Okay, so that's a call to action for everyone. Follow Nancy Red (laughs) everywhere. And so thank you, my love, and I can't wait to have you back. And I want to thank you for listening to Camera Ready and Able. If you'd like info on upcoming classes or one-on-one private coaching, please skip on over to my website, ableintermedia.com, and shoot me a note. And as always, please be sure to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Mm